Hi, this is Mike Balaban, and you're listening to Bammer and Me, another episode with one of my guests. Today, that person is Lily Ann Villas, a 38-year-old Ecuadorian-born trans woman now living in the Miami area. Uh, we've known each other for a year or so through Clubhouse, and uh, this is actually our second effort at this. The first was a long-distance interview that the sound wasn't all that wonderful. So we're in person today, meeting in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Lily, thank you for joining me. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? It's definitely a pleasure to do this again, but this time to do it in person. Absolutely. Definitely what we were waiting for. It's so wonderful to meet you, finally. So, uh, Lily has lived a fascinating life. I can't wait to see what happens with the rest of it. In her first 30 years, I'm going to let her tell you in her own words, but she's lived a lot of experiences that many of us will never get close to and, and in a short period of time. So, let's get started. Uh, as Lily and I have gotten to know each other, and I heard how much effort that she spent over three decades denying her true gender, I thought, you know, if only open-minded people could hear her story, perhaps they'd finally get a sense of what it means to grow up trans. We'll be delving into the issue in more depth as the interview proceeds. But for now, can you describe briefly what it means to be misgendered in a way that might adequately convey to an open-minded but uninformed individual what that's like? Of course. So misgender is basically, just to give you an example, I asked at a coffee shop, can I please get a coffee? And if someone looks at me and gives an automatic assumption of saying, yes, sir, right away. Right. And I'll be like, it's ma'am. Yeah. And the perception of the gentleman at that point or the lady at that point was to assume that, oh, it's a man, so therefore I'm going to say sir. Right. Even though... It's, that's not the case. So that's to be misgendered. What does that feel like? Not so good. <laughs> Especially when you uh, decide to go through the process of your transition so that your body is more aligned with your mind. And as you're going through all these changes, one thing that you really want is to be addressed in public by your actual pronoun. By it, It's like your own mind is the one thing that pronoun to be known by everybody without you having to actually explain it to anyone. Well, I mean, I guess part of the problem is we live in a binary world where everything is either or. Correct. Male or female. And many people are not even aware of the possibilities for something in between or both. Correct. And one of those biggest issues is that the society in which we live is very heteronormativity are surrounded by. So other than changing everybody to understand that there are multiple pronouns they're not even aware of that represent people, can you think of any short or medium-term solutions other than just bring it to people's attention one by one? I think the quickest way to basically address this entire issue is to stop the perception that someone is either or. Stop the assumption that a person's walking in is either a male or a female. Right. Okay. If you just greet someone as, how are you doing? Welcome. Right. Instead of saying, how are you doing, sir? Right. Automatically, you're giving the opportunity for the person to, at some point, let you know if they want to be let, if they want to go ahead and let you know. And you're also not coming across like in your mind, there's only two. And you're more respectful of everyone that may come in contact with you and that you may have any type of interaction with. Of course, in the world we live in, what I, I suspect you're finding, I, I notice, is that young people who haven't been socialized a certain way are more open to this idea and have less of a difficult time dealing with it. That is people that have been around a long time and who are closed-minded and are resistant to the idea that anything needs to be different are not so receptive. I do believe that... Um, your own upbringing has a lot to do with that too, especially if you come from a culture that is a little bit more close-minded. The odds of that person being close-minded are very high. Right. So why don't we start, and I'll ask you to describe for us the environment in which you were raised and your first memories of a burgeoning awareness of gender dysphoria. And in fact, why don't you first describe for us, if you what that term means? Of course. So gender dysphoria is when you're a person that does not 
feel comfortable in the body that was assigned to you at birth. So, for example, uh, in my case, that I am a woman of trans experience, I was born, I was assigned male at birth. So being assigned male at birth at age four for me was already, I was identifying different things that I wasn't too in line. The way that my brain was working did not make sense compared to my body. Um, so therefore, throughout the years, now that I've gone through my transition, the dysphoria represents itself in three different ways, at least to me. Uh, the first one is prior to my transition, prior to even coming out, in which I see the mirror and I see a person that is not who I really am. I see a person that I, have, I had to embrace to mm -hmm. basically fit into society. But on the other hand, this is not me. That's not who I am. That's not the person that I see myself in my so brain. every time you looked in the mirror, you had a kind of a jarring reaction of, this isn't me? Pretty much at first uh, until you you kind of get accustomed to that and kind of feel like, okay, this is me. Like there's nothing that I can do. So right. sure, it, this is just the way it's going to be. And then that's like the first stage of the dysphoria for me. Second stage of the dysphoria is as you are starting to go through your transition, you start feeling and understanding that wait, in my case, at least as a woman of trans experience, am I going to be passable? Am I going to look female enough for people to just look at me and say, oh, there's a woman, without me having to say, I am a woman. So that's, I went through that right as I started my process of transitioning. Then um, once you've gone through the transition and you've gone through surgeries and things like that, now on your head, it it kicks in with the, you're walking into a place, people are looking at you. On my end is now, I am 6'1". I am a tall human being. So I'm walking with heels at a 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, walking to a place, people look at me in my head. I'm thinking either A, people are looking, wow, what a tall woman. Or B, it's a trance. Right. So all of that causes a little bit of dysphoria as well. And is that would that be another word for that be disorientation, perhaps? Not necessarily disorientation because it's it's you're not you are not feeling disoriented. You're just feeling like we've grown in this society in which this is the image of a woman. Right. This is the image of a man. And when your body wants to be like that image and you feel that maybe the genetics that you were given are not working in your favor it causes that dysphoria. It causes the fact that even though you've gone through surgeries and things like that, you still see a little bit of the residue of who of, of the gender that was assigned, the sex that was assigned to you at birth. Well, you know, I want to interrupt for a second with my own experience. You know, I'm a gay man. I've been out 40 odd years. Of course, the whole concept of transgender and what that means and the possibilities for someone to transition have accelerated and expanded so dramatically in my lifetime. So the trans community was really only in the beginning of formation when I came out in the 70s and 80s. And it's mushroomed in that period of time. My first exposure to someone that I got to know a little who was trans was not until the 90s. I'd been out 20 years. I was on my first nonprofit board. And we added a board member who had been male and had transitioned. And in fact, had been a high school championship winning coach in the state of Utah in volleyball two or three different years and was fired from her job after transitioning. And then a lawsuit was filed and eventually did not win it. Today, perhaps she would win it. But she joined our board and was only with us for one or two meetings before she resigned because she felt like there wasn't enough focus on the trans issue in an organization that was LGBTQ understandable because there wasn't that much of a focus anywhere. I then had another board member join within a year who was also trans and stuck around for a year or so. And that was the first time I actually got to know someone. I mean, I, I'd, I'd met and seen that first person, but this was the first time I sat at lunches next to them in meetings and chatted with them on downtime about their life and mine. And I'll be honest, the first reaction as a 
gay, white, privileged male, seeing someone who not unusually has residual male characteristics in a female body now, it was awkward, a little uncomfortable. I was noticing those differences rather than the person because that's what hits you at first when you're exposed. But what I also noticed, not surprisingly, but it was pleasant to watch it happen, was that the more I got to know that individual, the less I noticed those external characteristics. The more the person I was dealing with came to the fore, and I no longer even thought about those, for lack of a better word, eccentricities, the things that didn't fit my normal expectations. And so I watched that over and over again in the last two decades subsequently. Now, of course, as you were referring to, often I now run into people who have transitioned and who do not have residual characteristics of the gender they left behind. A woman who's now a man or a man who's now a woman. And for all intents and purposes, no one can discern that prior existence, which is a lot easier for that person Correct. in society. But also I think marks a kind of a stratification within the trans community for those who can pass and those who can't pass so easily. Is that is that fair to say? It is fair, but I, I think it's also... Um, worth mentioning, as I said earlier, that a lot of that, to your point, you said pass or not passing. The, the passing, it's like the way I say it is like losing weight. Yes. Okay. If you start losing weight so you can see yourself how everybody should see you, you're not losing the weight for the purpose, for the right purpose. Right. If you're losing the weight for yourself so that you could be healthy, so that you can feel more comfortable and not care about anybody else is going to say, it's easier for you to lose the weight and to remain in shape for yourself. We don't owe passing to anyone. Of course not. I mean, okay. it, would be, it would be much better if society could change to accept the people as they Correct. are than if you had to change to fit into society. I, Correct. I'm not trying to make the person who can pass appear to be in any way superior or... No, 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 of course not. I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, uh, and, and this is something that all of society has fallen into. Right. Okay. For example, within the trans community, the LGBTQIA2S+, uh, the non-binary community falls under trans, okay? And I've had friends of mine that are non-binary that have at some point said, I don't necessarily feel that I should fit under the trans because I'm not trans. I'm non-binary. I don't identify as neither, okay? And my explanation to them is like, we are all one people. We're all human at the end of the day. Whether you're lesbian, you you can be trans or you can be a lesbian. You can be... Non trans non binary, like all of that is just a position in this particular case. But at the end of the day, humans in, in general, society has had to put that we a or B. We unfortunately we make we feel like it makes it easier if we can categorize, correct? But you need to therefore now explain to our audience because I don't think everyone's going to clearly have an idea of the difference between gender binary, non binary, and Anything else? I mean, what? please describe for us. Correct, correct. Uh, so regarding the non-binary, um, a person that identifies as non-binary, same as a person that identifies as gender fluid. Um, those are people, human, that they do not, non-binary don't identify as either male or female. Okay? They're just people, they're persons, they're humans, and... They do not use he or she as their pronouns. They use they, them, because at any given point can identify to either one of those situations that a male or a female go through, and they can pass as either one of them. Okay, So it's uh, they do not like the, the label of you are a male, you are a female, because to a certain extent, they're not either. They're a human being. Well, you know, the whole idea of passing is an entirely different category because I've, I've known gender non-binary people who can't pass as one of or other of the genders. They're pretty much limited in passing to one gender, but that doesn't mean they don't identify as gender non-binary. It simply says that, that person feels like, look, there are moments and times and places where I want to express a female side of me. And there are moments and times and places where I want to express a male side of me. And it may be how I dress, it may be how I behave and what are traditional expectations of people in that gender. I don't want to be contained or bound 
by any of those limitations. And therefore, I'm going to express and dress and behave in whatever way I feel like, and I don't want you to think of me as one or the other. Yes, I was born as either a male or a female person. I can't get away from that, but that's not, a, that's not going to limit how I can be out in the world. Correct. Is that fair? That's fair enough. Yeah. That's the closest thing. And they may feel even more extravagant in which, for example, the typical scenario is that a woman shaves their armpits and their legs and male do not shave their armpits and their legs. That's like the, the common society. Right. We all know that men, there are men that do shave and there are women that don't shave. But in general, that's sure. the general expectation of you. But then here you may have a non-binary person that has very long hair. It's very, to a certain extent, sometimes very feminine, but has a full-grown beard. And like at any given point feels that they don't need to be attached to either one of right. them. Okay? That's why they use the they. They can identify as they, them. Right. And that has actually created a lot of controversy in, our, uh, in society because people tend to say that they use they only for plural, even though many times you have more than clearly used the they, them on singular basis. Right. And that's just, again, a matter of changing the society mentality in being more open-minded to what anybody is and respect more. All right. So we've given a, a primer for our audience <laughs> without getting into the meat of your life. Yes. Um, why don't you share with us, if you will, where you grew up, what the, the environment was like, and as you began to have a sense as a young boy that, in fact, you did not find yourself, to, you did not identify as a boy, what you encountered. Correct. So I was born in Ecuador in South America, and um, Ecuador is a very conservative country, very Catholic. Um, it's... In general, the society there is very judgmental. Um, there are There's no middle class in Ecuador. You're either high class, middle high class, which means you. it doesn't matter how much in-depth you are as long as you maintain the status. The appearance. The appearance, exactly. And then you have poor people. So that's the environment in which I was born into. And um, my parents, um, love them to death, they're amazing people, had, they were brought up in this culture. So when I was born, um, back in the 80s, early 80s, growing up in Ecuador, I at age four, I already started realizing that there, there was something different about me. I, I liked dresses. I liked going into my sister's rooms and trying to... Uh, put on their dresses from the first communion and like trying to get their uh, Shira toys or their Barbies and, and play with those in my room and like try to try to be more attracted to the idea of doing more feminine stuff. Um, throughout my elementary years, I was bullied in school precisely for being feminine. Then at age nine, I'm in the car with my dad, and I tell my dad how I love the dress that a uh, famous VJ uh, from MTV, Daisy Fuentes, had on a billboard. And my dad had a reaction in which he literally pulled the car over and was telling me, dragged me out of the car to take me to a ladies' uh, clothing store, saying, I'm going to buy you all of these clothes because you're nothing but a, used the F word at that time. And for me, it was like, okay, this is it. I am never sharing anything about how I feel because the last thing I want is to hurt my dad, to make him feel that I am not worth it. So um, so to be clear, that was like the defined scarring moment of your early life. Correct, correct. And I think it was triggered by the cultural environment in which my dad was brought up to react that way. A man is to be a man. A man cannot say, yes, I like that dress. Uh, unless you're talking about a girl that you're seeing and you're possibly trying to, to be with. Right. Okay. So yeah, in that case, uh, that was the reaction. That was a scary moment for me in which, okay, moving forward, I need to be the man my dad wants me to be. Despite the fact that a strong part of me denies that, a strong part of me cannot identify with it, 
for societal reasons and in order not to hurt the people I love, have to put down any idea that I might in some way really be more of a woman than a man and live up to the code of being a man. Correct. And from that point on, it became the what do men, quote unquote, do? Uh, men play sports. Okay, so I'm going to start playing sports and I'm going to be good at them. I'm going to play football. I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to see what men do. I'm going to start doing taekwondo because martial arts are normally what men do. So those are the type of things I started getting involved in and was really good at them so that my dad could be like, my son, my son. Um, fast forward to my teenage years, I had the opportunity to come and live in the States. I did two years of high school here. I was even more involved in track, in basketball, in football, and trying to trying to get involved in this um, opportunities to do the manly sports. If there was a fight, I was the first one to jump into the fight because I had to show off to everyone what a man I am. <laughs> Were you also a homophobe who put down other people? Hundred yeah. percent, because that's what men do. Right. If you behave in any way, oh, you reacted in a homophobic way. Right. So. I embraced those type of things because it gave me the mentality that I'm keeping my dad happy, keeping my family happy because everybody sees me being a man. And acceptance. Exactly. The acceptance. I, I was feeding into society. Right. I was finally someone that is not bullied on because of who I really am. Right. I was admired. I was liked. I was the cool person because I was fitting in with everything that we all needed to do because that was the perception of what a man was. So obviously that led to still feeling uncomfortable inside and having to hide and and resource to different things that would kind of calm my own personality and deny who who I really am. Exactly. Part of that was I got into drugs and that kind of like made me kind of calm down the woman inside of me and continue embracing this uh, behavior of pleasing everyone by pretending to be someone else. But that experience, if I recall correctly, could have been fatal. Of course, of course, because I was doing everything, because it would be the only thing that would really control me. But it would be moments in which I would be doing coke, and then from coke, jump directly into into heroin, because I wanted to, to get the mixtures of the ups and the downs so that I can kind of feel that, okay, Lily's controlled. <laughs> and yet heroin is a killer. So, Correct. Right. Correct. So surviving that and finishing from college, uh, high school and then moving back to Ecuador, uh, actually right before I finished high school, and then con- finish my high school in Ecuador and continue living down there around this environment of still needing to be the man everybody expected. Now in Ecuador again, in a country that is back to being a hundred percent homophobic, a hundred percent into the environment that you need to fit into society. You need to fit into what the Catholic Church says, and it, it was just—it's a—it's a difficult environment to be around. It's not the ideal expectation for the ideal environment for someone that is trans to feel comfortable, or someone that is gay, or someone that is a lesbian to feel comfortable to say, "This is me. I'm coming out." So I had to endure all of that and still fit into the society that was expected for me to be in. Tell us about your dating life and what followed thereafter, how that happened. My dating life. (laughs) That was long. (laughs) So my dating life, um, I can say that I embraced the male image really well. I was able to like be tough, be rough, uh, look, look the part. I definitely looked the part. Uh, with that said, it was easy for me to date women. I, I was, I liked the girl. I would ask her out, end up dating the person probably for a long time, maybe about a year. But there was always something empty inside of me. So one thing through my dating life that I've learned, obviously fast forward all the way through now, is that you can never please and make someone happy if you're not happy yourself. And that is... It's key to your life because I learned that the hard way. doesn't matter how hard you try and what every detail that you can come in your mind and think to do for someone to make them happy. If you're not happy, you're not going to really show it. So let's say in intimacy, um, 
it's hard for me to, it was hard for me back then to 100% please a woman when I had to play a role of a male that that's not really who I was. So I was able to do it. I have kids. I was always obviously able to to fulfill the part at some point. No, but it was under pressure. But it was under pressure, exactly. It wasn't, it, it was part of the same show that I was putting in for, for everyone. So that definitely made it even more difficult. They did several people. Uh, there was a point in which I did it one, then I did it somebody else right away because I was still trying to fill in the gap. Plus, I was trying to show everybody, look, I'm a man. I'm doing multiple women. You see, I am a man. But I'm I'm a, I'm a ladies' man. <laughs> pretty much, yes. Like that mentality because, oh, men date women. Right. So therefore, I'm, I'm a man. I'm dating women. I like women. So I'm going to continue dating women. So that was kind of like where my life evolved down in Ecuador. But then you met Veronica. Correct. I met Veronica and um, that was my first uh, marriage. And uh, we have a child together. And our relationship evolved into a lot of issues precisely because I was not able to to really be there as the man that she wanted me to be because obviously inside of me I was not a man. I was not identifying as myself. So our sex life started going down. So what did I do? Oh, I'm working. I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. You put all your energies into your job. Correct. Which made her unhappy. Which led to her, unfortunately, dating somebody else, seeing someone else, and being unfaithful. I'm jumping ahead here. Veronica ran away to Argentina with a mutual friend that she'd been seeing. Did you know she was seeing that guy when before she ran away, or was it a surprise? So this person was a person that became a really close friend of mine. Right. So it's the, not so close, but yeah. clearly <laughs> later on, I found that out. <laughs> but at the moment, it was a person that was close to me. Someone, the, the typical friend that was there for you and you were there for them right. no matter what. Uh, so a person that when I lost my job, he brought me to work with him. When he lost his job, I brought him to work with me. It was a close relationship. So when we were working, I started taking, I was working in two jobs back then. I was working in construction during the day and delivering newspaper to hotels at night. So with that said, from Monday through Saturday, I was working literally from eight to five on construction, get home around six, sleep through nine, wake up and go to work from 10 p.m. through 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and then go directly to my other job. But on some level, that allows you to avoid the discomfort and the uncertainty that came in your relationship with Veronica. Of course, of course. That which, was of course, uh, after uh, unfulfilled, which led her to then rely upon him for comfort. Correct. And they then ran away together. So then before that happened, I found out that they were seeing each other, um, I, I had the opportunity to get a more stable job. I was able to quit the two jobs, the newspaper job and the construction job, and started working in hotels again. So now that I went back to working in the hospitality industry, which is my career, we decided to stay together. Uh, she wasn't going to see the gentleman, the guy anymore. And we started dating. We started being together again. Um, fast forward a couple of months, uh, back in 2007, I thought, Mother's Day 2007, I'm like, you know what? Our life is getting resolved. We're back together. Everything's working perfect. We have moved to another house right by the beach in Hollywood Beach. When uh, one day she's like, oh my God, on Mother's Day, she's like, I can't believe I would have missed this. I'm so happy, blah, blah. And then she went into sleep. So when I had this like weird intuition, weird feeling so as I'm sitting down watching TV, so I get up and I go to the to the bedroom. And as I'm opening the door, I hear her on the phone being like, yes, baby, he'll, he'll leave around 7 a.m. So you can probably come around 8, 8.30. Right. So I was like, who are you talking to? Oh, my mom. My mom, like, that's not your mom. I was listening to the conversation. So then that stirred up the whole fight. And I asked her if she was still seeing uh, Federico. And that's how I found out that they were still together. Fast forward to November 2007, he gets deported and sent back to Argentina, where he was from. Fast forward to February 20th, 2008, two weeks before my oldest child turned two, 
I was going to pick pick them up at um, at their house when all of a sudden I get there and the house was empty. You say pick them up at their house. You weren't living together? No, we weren't living together by that point. So I go to pick up my child at uh, Veronica's house and the house was completely empty. Um, I tried calling her, calling her, calling her. She finally answered the phone when she was already inside of the uh, of the plane about to take off heading to Argentina. So basically, she ripped your child away from you without telling you. Yes. But that was for maybe a year? That was for a, a little, yeah, about a year because then, as expected, things in Argentina did not work out. So my parents intervened, her parents intervened, and they were together, got together to be able to bring her and my child from Argentina to Ecuador, where they were originally from. And that's where they stayed. And Which has allowed the child to come back into your life. Correct. And that allowed... The oldest child, uh, Bianca, now nicknamed Billy. Correct. Um, who is today 15 or so? Yes, turning 16 in a couple of weeks. So that's your first marriage and your first child and how it ended. Then take us to the next one. So then um, I met a lovely person, which for for different reasons, I'm not going to say their name. And uh, we met through my job in the hotel industry back then. And I fell in love with them. That person was amazing. I, I was crazy about her. She was crazy about me. Um, we got engaged two years after we were, we were dating. We got married. And uh, then we had a child and my second child at this point. But going back a little bit, right after my relationship with Veronica ended, um, at some point in between, I actually was having a lot of doubts about myself and who I was and um, finding out whether I'm gay instead of being trans. Like, what if I'm gay? Because in my head, the trans option, I didn't even know about it. Like, it's impossible that I want to be a woman, that I feel like a woman. Why Why am I Why am I feeling this way? There's got to be something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just gay. Well, the awareness of that opportunity was just beginning to spread. To, to even make sense. Right. right? <laughs> exactly. So I dated a guy for about a week, about a month, I'm sorry. But that was the first time you'd ever even contemplated. Correct. You weren't attracted to men by no, right? No, I just thought, maybe I'm just gay, so let me date a guy. Right. And that's when I realized, yeah, you know what? No, I'm not gay. Yeah. So after that, I was like, I'm definitely a man then. But if, if you don't mind my being graphic. No, please, go ahead. <laughs> um, it did yield one key piece of information. Yes, right? yes. The fact that uh, in, when we were intimate, for me, the role, the feminine role, is the one that I assumed right away, and it made sense. So as a man with a wife, you cannot be passive. Correct. But as a man, and by the way, I failed even to mention that you were born Caesar, so you were living yes. all your life to this point as Caesar. Yes. As Caesar. Marrying Veronica and then your second wife, you had to be the active partner. Correct. Now you dated a guy just to try it out and realize I'm not attracted to this guy. But lo and behold, I get to assume the role that I feel more natural in. Correct. And that was the key piece of information. Right? Yes. Yes. That definitely was something that was an eye opener. Right. But because of how I felt towards the attraction piece, I was like, this is not for me. That's not the way who I like. You were attracted to women. I was still attracted to women. So therefore, in my head, it's like, yeah, you know what? No. Yeah. It's just something in my head and that's it. So I was single and then I started dating my second wife. Like I said, within two years after that, we started dating at the beginning of 2011. Then uh, we got married at, at the beginning of 2013. Then we had a kid. And... We were going through a little bit of a rough situation between the two of us, getting used to now going from a no-kid couple to a couple now with a kid. So therefore, it was a little more difficult to really have the opportunity to be intimate, sure. to be um, but that's romantic. But that happens to every couple. Correct. Right. But my issue now is that in my head, starts playing the... Maybe she doesn't want to be intimate because she understands and she already feels that you're not a man. Right. So that started playing a big role in my head. So 
I started researching more about the trans community, about maybe I am in the wrong body. Maybe this is not who I'm supposed to be. And I ended up looking into a couple of friends, finding out about uh, opportunities to maybe like what someone that is trans went through and what maybe I can get an advice to see what I need to do. Right. Okay. And it's and so the world of possibility began to become apparent. Correct. For the first time. Correct. Let me also make clear, if I may, if this is the right point, based on what our discussions in the past, is that you've always been attracted to women. That's never been in question. But again, not necessarily feeling comfortable in the active role, and yet being a man who's supposed to be active, you had to perform. Correct. And that often caused a kind of a cognitive dissonance inside you. Yes. And in order to overcome that, not unlike many men at various ages now, you would take Viagra and Cialis. Mm -hmm. And if I may be so bold as to say, at times you even visualize yourself in the role as being a woman with a dildo, a strap-on dildo, rather than it actually being the part of your body that you were using. Correct. And that, that actually had, that was a visual that I need to put in my head a lot of the times um, after um, when we started having the separation. Right. During the time in which I was under the impression that this was just a face and that I was going to overcome it and I was working out every single day and I was buff man in my head. Um, back then, I, re I relied on Salis and Viagra just to make sure that everything would perform perfectly fine. But, uh, but in my own experience, and maybe you as well, Cialis and Viagra are AIDS, but they're not automatic erection providers. Oh, no. Your mind has to be in it. But it helped in my mind to right. think and that, okay, I have this, so I'll be fine. Right, right. <laughs> so therefore, there we go. It was working. There you Let's do it. <laughs> and Placebo effect. Yes, pretty much. To then eventually it became the, I need to have that visual image in my head to be aroused enough to do it. Right. To then it even became the moment in which I need to make sure she's okay. Right. It doesn't matter whether I'm okay or not right. at this point. I just got to make sure she's pleased. Right. That was the end of it. So this led into a huge wall between the two of us. Okay. Leading to eventually her uh, seeing some messages with a friend of mine regarding what to do uh, to maybe go buying some clothes so I can try to see how I feel, etc. So Women's clothes. Yes. Yeah. And... In 2015, I came out to, to my wife and told her, this is what I'm experiencing. Um, in her eyes, it's like, why didn't you tell me before? Like, if it's not fair. How about I didn't know? But that was my thing. Like, <laughs> it, it's hard for me to tell you something that I'm not even sure what I'm feeling. Right, right. Okay. But I understand that things would have been a lot different should she know about what I was going through. So that kind of became a wedge, right? Yes, sort of. Moving forward from that point on, we were able to sort of work some of the difficulties, but we sort of just brushed it under the rug and left it there. We continue being together. We continue playing the part of a happy family and putting up a show of being happy. Um, loved her. She loved me, but there were differences that were keeping us separate, uh, which led to, unfortunately, her being with somebody else, too. Now, on my end, while at first I was playing the victim role and I was being like, oh, my God, I was cheating on again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> At the end of the day, I realized there's one fact here that it's hard to, again, make someone happy when you're not happy. And unfortunately, humans, when they're not happy, they trigger to something else. So do I hold that against her? Absolutely not. That's the part of me in which I realized I, I am responsible for this because... So at what point... Okay, so you began to realize at four there was something in you that was mm -hmm. dysphoric. And now you're... What age in 2015 or so? 30? 2015, about 31. Yeah, right. 31. You 31. began to start to accept the notion that maybe the problem was inside you, not with these people you were with. Correct. And that how did you reach the decision that there was a way and that you needed to deal with all the 
difficulties on that path to reach the self-acceptance that you now have. So in 2018, I had a stroke first. I am a stroke survivor. And I had high cholesterol, high blood pressure, going through a separation, put all that together. It was just I think about me, it was bound to happen something bad. <laughs> so I ended up having a stroke. Um, I was lucky enough to survive. And uh, my, I owe my cousin a lot because she realized I was having a stroke, took me directly to the ER. And you were like 34? Yeah, I was, well, 18, 2018, I must have been like, yeah, 33, 34. That's extremely young for anybody to have a stroke. Yes. So I had a stroke. And after that, it was kind of like a okay, maybe I should start going to therapy and trying to find out exactly what, what is going on. Uh, part of me wanted to regain the love of my wife. And in my head, I started thinking, I'm going to work out again. I'm going to get healthy so that she can be like, oh, what a man. I want to go back with him. Right. And I got, I got big. I mean, I just seen a picture of me like back then. I was like, I got buff. I got rough. I got... Uh, I became again the people me of what a man was. <laughs> You're like six one, two hundred and six one. Back then, I got down to one ninety, and it was pure muscle. <laughs> but I'm still feeling emptiness inside. Um, one thing led to the other one. I ended up moving out of the states, out of Florida, because I, I I needed a, a new beginning, a new environment. Uh, I went to a different state. I was in Maine and I ended up getting more resources over there. And being in a different state where basically nobody knew me made it easy for me to get a, an actual therapist that is going to help me focus on this particular. Try on a new identity. And trying to understand who I was and what was my path. Going through that led to me going ahead and wanting to start my transition which started in June of 2019. Which is just before COVID hit. Exactly. Before COVID, I'm up there. And that's when I started my uh, hormone replacement therapy. And let me tell you, from that point on, the hypes of euphoria and the lows of the dysphoria were tremendous. From receiving the hormones in your body and taking the, the 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 blockers because you need to take a testosterone blocker and then take the uh, hormone replacement, which is the estrogen in this case. It led to this feelings up and down in which there were moments in which I had a full-grown grown beard, so I had to shave my beard. I was bald, so therefore I had to let my hair grow again. I had to use wigs for a very long time. And let me tell you, I hated wigs. There's nothing like worse for me. Like, I cannot wear a wig. I hate wigs. So as my hair is growing, then the mentality of thinking, is my hair going to grow again in the parts where I was bald? Is it not going to grow? All of that caused the dysphoria. While at some point, being able to start seeing things like my breasts growing was moments of euphoria. Like, oh my God, it, it's happening, you know? Um, to the experience of having the doctor not mention to me new things that are going to happen, like, for example, that when your breast grows, it, it's painful. Like, you have a really bad pain in your breast. And I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Like, I didn't know that. So I would wake up with, like, this terrible pain. Or I'll be taking a shower and I would, like, accidentally hit my breast and be like, oh, my God, this hurts. <laughs> so learning those things and starting to relearn my body and be more in tune with my body... It meant a huge deal for me. Well, you have to become in tune with a body you've never had. Correct. That you're finally starting to have. Funny enough, just a little anecdote. Good group of friends of mine from Ecuador. Um, it was it's three women and me. That was the whole group. And jokingly, they used to say to me, we're good with you because you, we all know that you're a lesbian trapped in a guy's body. So that's how they used to address me. Okay. So it's funny that they used to have that mentality about me. And then... Now, obviously, they've been like, more than accepting their... We now still you, remain... Now you are. Yes. 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 Not, not <laughs> Exactly. And... Um, Let me just make clear to, to people, in case it's not already, that in almost all cases, when somebody has a sexual orientation, a preference, an attraction to the same gender or the opposite gender, and then they go through a gender transition, that orientation does not change. Correct. So the result is, if you were straight before, you then become gay. 
or if you were gay before, you then become straight. Correct. So you were a heterosexual as a man dating women, a man's body dating women. When you accepted who you were and became a woman, still dating women, you're now lesbian. Correct. The one thing though that I want to point out is that now you feel more comfortable at some point being a woman with trans experience. It's easier for you to say, like, yes, I'm a lesbian, I'm talking to women. But if I see a handsome man, I'm going to say, oh my God, he's so handsome, he's hot. Okay? <laughs> and there's not that homophobic internal mentality of thinking, I'm a man. I can't say that that man is attractive. <laughs> that's something negative to say. <laughs> so that's kind of like gone now. I can actually comfortably say, oh my God, look at that man. He's a handsome guy. <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, going through certainly every man's mind who's listening to this, oh my God, you go from being a man to a woman, that means you lose your genitals. And so the emotional and physical travail, the difficulties or the liberation that came from that and what you are left with as a woman who has been a man. Can you describe a little bit of that? I mean, as graphically or ungraphically as you'd like <laughs> for our audience, but I just... It, it's everyone's curious and of course. no one wants to ask, right? Of course. It's one of those like, shh, don't say anything. Right. <laughs> so I think it's all a matter of preference. There are women of trans experience that do not want to have a surgery. There are women of trans experience that want to have the surgery. Uh, on my case, I had my surgery. Um, obviously, for every guy friend that I have, when I mentioned the surgery, they were like, wait, what? And they crossed their legs. And <laughs> Automatically. It was like, cross the leg, grab their genitals and be like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? And like in their minds, it's hard for them to understand because they enjoy being men. They enjoy using their penis and they enjoy being a man to their wives right. or their girlfriends, okay? So, or even to their male friends for those that are gay, my friends that are gay. So, in their minds, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, but have you thought about what if you lose sensitivity? What, what, are you, are you going to have a vagina? Right. Like, wait, are you going to be using it? Like, can you use it? And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and at that moment, it became this whole, okay, let me, let me get the paper. Let's do a graphic here so you can understand what's going to happen and kind of go down through the um, explanation of what the surgery entailed. And once, like, what everything of the surgery is going to, what's going to happen step by step, and then how do they keep the sensitivity? How do they keep the depth? How do they create the labia and all the parts, the crucial parts of the vagina at that point. So I went through the surgery and on my end, it was a sense of euphoria. It's just, there there are no words to describe. I found myself. Exactly. Finally, what my brain has had in mind, looking at the mirror is there. From, I may have, yeah, I have small breasts. I have a, an, an A-cup well, right not now. Not only looking in the mirror, touching your body. Correct. Yeah. But in my mind, I even if they are an A-cup, I have my breasts. I have my vagina. I have a morphine body, which is what I wanted, what I needed, because that's what my brain is telling me that I have. And that way, now it's there. It's so that's, that's there. the plus. Correct. The minus is there are all kinds of challenges you have to deal with. Correct. You shared with me that, in fact, you know, you have to keep working at it to make sure that your vagina doesn't close. Correct. So now with the surgery, there's many things that come into place that you need to be dedicated. You need to be in it to win it, because if you don't, then you're going to have several side effects that are not going to be beneficial. Like on my end, with a vagina, the because the vagina is basically man-made, right? Okay, um, you have to dilate because if you don't dilate, it, sh- it closes. Right. So for about maybe almost a year, you need to consistently dilate from starting five times a day down little by little to about twice a day to about once a day. Right now, I'm already where I dilate once a day. Will it ever reach a point where you don't have to do it at all? No. Okay. 
unfortunately, that's why I say you need to be in it to win it. You need to understand that for the rest of your life, as long as you want to have a functioning vagina. The price of being the person you were meant to be. Exactly. What about uh, genital pleasure and uh, orgasm? What are you left with versus what you had? So being a little bit graphical so that everybody gets the picture and understands how it works, from the sensitive part of the penis that creates that uh, orgasm, right. they create the clitoris, and then uh, which is a fully functioning clitoris, and I am able to orgasm without a problem. Okay. Yeah. But I, if I recall correctly, I think I thought you said it had to be kind of regularly stimulated. Otherwise, it could lose some function. So at first, no. Okay. During the first six months, six to eight months, they actually tell you not. As you're learning about your body and you are dilating, it's, com- it's common for women of trans experience that go through this to start um, kind of like exploring to see what it feels. Right. And that's when they suggest do it because you need to learn your body, but make sure that you you still are sensitive. All those nerves have gone through a huge trauma. So don't overdo a lot because you may lose the sensitivity. Uh. But the good, the plus here is that because of you, you're going through an estrogen and a hormone replacement therapy, your libido, your... um, your sex drive is not where it was as a male. It's kind of in hiatus for a while, I would guess. Huh? It is. It is. Um, but does it come back? It does come back. It never comes back to the moment. In, like, let's be realistic. Testosterone is is a dry, is sex drive. Right. <laughs> and that sexual drive that testosterone gives you, you don't get it back. But to be honest, you don't really need it. Right. I can have it. But well, it's also being receptive versus being active, right? True. That is right. Uh, that makes a big difference. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, on my end, I've been lucky enough that it works perfectly fine. Uh, at some point, it did close. Uh, my body closed uh, the cavity uh, really quick, despite the fact that I was, I was dilating. So I did have to have a corrective surgery. Mm-hmm. And with the corrective surgery, I've been able to basically continue my dilation and continue um its healing process and it's it's pretty good i can't complain (laughs) so i want to highlight that i've been told there's a large transphobic element of the gay male community i'm fortunate not to have friends that at least openly acknowledge that they might be transphobic but it's always perplexed me that at least something I can identify with as a gay man having gone through a coming out experience, that men who've gone through a parallel to what you've experienced a long period of time, often years, maybe decades, where they were aware that they were attracted to others of their own sex, but could not admit it openly, had to live a secret life, and eventually somehow came up with the courage to do it and to be accepted and to finally achieve who they were meant to be. People in that position could take a position that they didn't understand or even acknowledge that there's such a thing as a trans person and that that person deserved to have the same kind of sense of liberation and identity that they did. So my hope is that anybody in that position who has that kind of attitude who might be listening to this interview will see that the almost three decades you spent from when you first identified in yourself this, I'm, I'm really a woman inside a man's body to when you finally were able to go through the process of transitioning your body to becoming a woman is not very different from what they did, not with their body, but with their sexual orientation. And you both get to live who you were meant to be. So so my hope is this is going to be an education. Would you? I agree. Um, Obviously every case is different and every, every person like I have lesbian friends that they don't understand me. They don't understand my journey. They don't understand They've, they've told me, like, listen, I, I, I don't see you as a woman. And I'll be like, that's so wrong to say, but okay. <laughs> All right. What do they see you as? So, for example, one of my friends, they actually have told me, like, I still see you as, as a guy. And I'm like, that's just, it, it's wrong in so many places, well, in it, so many ways. It expresses a limitation on their ability to, Correct. to perceive and empathize. Correct. And then on top of that, it's like, the way I see it is, 
having people that are part of the LGBT and for them to have that type of mentality and that type of reaction towards someone within our own alphabet mafia, right. <laughs> it's it's hard for me to even listen to and and accept and 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 deal with them. So for those type of people, I I am very respectful of everybody's points of view and i understand that my journey is not going to be accepted by anyone and and there's a i I don't want to get too deep into the weeds but i believe that it bespeaks a certain lack of charitableness that we have a closed club we don't welcome newcomers into it pretty much you have to have gone through exactly what i've gone through to be exactly who i am as opposed to saying wow this makes you happy you have a body that works for you you're no longer at, at, at odds with who you are in the world. Come on in. The water's fine. The way I see it is any type of hate, whether it is a transphobic behavior, whether it's a racist behavior, whether it is against a particular religion, there's no, no place in the world for that. And the more we get into that type of uh, environment, the more negative our lives are becoming. I've had arguments with Terse and, and debates in which they're telling me, well, you know you don't have a uterus, you can't have a kid, so therefore you're never going to be a woman. I'm like, okay, I know three women that were born without a uterus. Does that make them not a woman? Uh, you're telling me basically that then they're not women? Yeah. Well, it's different. Why is it different? Okay. What is the point behind it? Okay. And then at the end of the day, respect is not earned by your gender, by your race, by your religion. Respect is earned by the way that you treat others. Okay, So if I respect who you are and what you are and how you identify, of whether you have your beliefs or you don't have your beliefs, I respect whatever anyone comes and sits in front of me and tells me, I believe in this. Right. Perfect. That's your point. I respect it. I don't agree with it. And the same way, you cannot agree with my journey. You don't have to agree with my journey. You don't have to be part of my journey either. The way I see it is this is my journey. It's not yours. It's your choice to continue being part of my life or not be part of my life. I want to shift gears uh, as we end this interview or near the end of it. Your oldest child, uh, Bianca, uh, now goes by the name Billy. Uh, And you were separated by COVID. And they were unaware of your transition. And you wanted the opportunity to tell Bianca in person, but that wasn't possible given the pandemic. Correct. Eventually, you had a conversation in which you came out. And I'd like you to describe how that went and what came out of it and how that feels. That was, um, speaking about euphoria, (laughs) that was definitely a a really amazing experience. because of the image that I have portrayed to my child of being manly and and um, to a certain extent sometimes even portray the image of a homophobic man, um, that without me knowing had put a little bit of a wall between my child and I. So when all of a sudden I am, you know, I need to do this, I'm already a year into my transition and my child hopefully soon is going to come visit me. You know, there's so much things that need, need to happen now. I, over the phone, told them back, back then it was still, uh, they were still identifying as a woman. So I told them, listen, um, this is who I am. I am a woman of trans experience and I am going through this journey. The reaction was awe, oh, was just amazing, was a acceptance from the moment it happened, from the moment I spoke with her, to her coming out to me in that moment as, okay, well, since you're telling me this, I and that you are trans and you're really a woman, which is incredible, which means, oh my God, that means I have, a two, I have two moms, <laughs> which I was like, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> and she reacted amazingly. At that moment, came out to me as a lesbian, which for me was like, it's incredible. Now, it was like a double coming out. Like I come out to you, you came out to me. We created that happy environment. Um, later on through that 
period of time with my child continuing to explore themselves and really trying to identify more with who they are, they ended up coming out to me again as a non-binary gender fluid person. And and I thought, maybe I misunderstood, I thought uh, Billy was now bisexual, not lesbian. Am I wrong? Yes. So their sexual, so I want to take this opportunity to go about uh, on on the meaning of sex, gender, and sexual orientation so that it's clear for everyone and people can understand Oh, okay, this makes sense now. So sex is very binary, is what you were born. Okay, you're either born a male, born a female. Or intersex. Or intersex, exactly. Which would be, in some cases, uh, I think the the doctor term is hermaphroditic. hermaphroditic, But I know that that term is not used by the people intersex. It's kind of pejorative. Exactly. So that's what we try as much as possible to be uh, informative to everyone is a term a term that we do not use. Right. Okay, and it simply means that a person's born with genitalia from both sexes of, Correct. of some combination. Correct. So that's basically how you define sex. Right. Uh, gender is how the person identifies. Okay, so in my case, for example, I well, that, am that's gender a, identity. That's not necessarily correct. gender, right? Correct, gender identity. That's, right. that, that's where I'm going to right. sex and gender identity. That's how you identify, which in my case, I was assigned male at birth, but I was a woman. My gender identity was of a woman. So now I am. But if if you had to kind of categorize society out of every hundred people, maybe there are one or two people who are assigned a certain gender and identify with a different one. A hundred percent. It's very little. Uh, We are a small group. We are unique. That's what we call unicorns. (laughs) Not in any way meant to diminish. No, of course not. Of course not. Um, And then it comes to sexual orientation, which is who you're attracted to. And on the sexual orientation, you have lesbian, you have gay, you have bisexual, you have asexuals, you have just demisexual, etc. I'm demisexual, by the way. So it's it becomes this broad spectrum of who you are attracted to. You get people that are attracted to someone not because of their gender or their sex. They are attracted to them because of the connection that they can create with them. Or that's demisexual, that's me. But they also have sapiosexual. Which are people attracted because of someone's intelligence. Correct. So that's now what creates that uh, level of attraction and um, your sexual orientation at that point. Uh, So getting into all those details now, my child, who was identifying as a lesbian, uh, now identifies as bisexual and at the same time is non-binary gender fluid. And they, the pronouns that they use is he, they. Oh, he, they. Yes. Okay. So basically, it doesn't want to be limited by how they perce- are perceived in their own gender or how they're perceived or how they actually are attracted to others' genders. Correct. Okay. Correct. And um, they're actually visiting me right now here in the States. They've been here since November. And they're staying all the way through June, so I am a very happy mom. Well, hopefully we've talked about it, and it may come to pass that we'll have an opportunity for you, Billy, and me to get together for another episode. That's what we're hoping for. So let's just bring this to a close in asking you, you know, you had a, a rather torturous journey. I mean, almost three decades of fighting an integral part of yourself that society denied, that you denied, and involving yourself not only with relationships, but marriages and children to try to continue that deception and ultimately realize it was a, it was a failure in the sense that you could not continue to do it. At the same time, you never would have had those relationships and certainly never would have had the children you now have. So was it worth it? How do you characterize everything and how do you feel about where you are now? So is it, has it been a difficult journey? hundred percent. I love my children. My children are my life. And the hugs, the kisses, the opportunity to see you, see them grow, to spend every second that I have available with them. It's a very unique feeling. So if you were to ask me, like many times I struggle myself with the whole like, 
oh my God, if I were to transition then, my life would be so much different now. But then I think I may not have my children if I were to transition then. It also probably wasn't e- easy or possible to transition Correct. medically and otherwise Correct. 20 or 30 years ago. So I am a true believer of things happen where they were meant to happen. And again, like I said, my children are my life. And I don't think I would have been as happy having experience being a mom and being with my kids. I don't think I would have, I would be as happy being a woman of trans experience and not having that love that I have now experienced, obviously. Is there anything else that we may have omitted that you'd like to share about your experience for others who happen to be listening? What I would like to share with everyone is just when someone is talking to you about any particular thing that they're going through, human nature forces every person to try to relate to that experience or put themselves in that place or put their own opinion into that particular scenario. You find yourself telling someone a story and you always hear like, oh, well, what, you know, something similar happened to me. And, well, you know what? I remember when I did. and Or I would do this. I would do this. If I was in your shoes, what we should be doing now is really learning and understanding that to be a good listener you need to be able to remove yourself from the situation. Let the person really share who they are, what they are, what they're facing, what they're struggling. And instead of quick, be quick to say how you would react or what you would do in that type of situation, just listen. And then once you've listened, tell someone, would you care if I give you my opinion about this? Would you care if, I let you know what I would do. And let the person be the deciding person of whether they want to hear what you have to say or they just want to be heard. Some people honestly just want to be heard. By being a good listener is the best way for you to really even be a better parent for your children. Because there may be people out there that right now you're listening to this. You are straight and you are a man or you're a woman. But your child may be trying to come out to you, trying to express to you who they are, and they're not doing it because they don't feel comfortable enough on coming out to you. And They don't trust that you'll be accepting them exactly. whoever they are. So if you are able to share with them that you are open and you are going to be a good listener and you're going to be open-minded and you're really going to listen, right. you will create that environment for them to feel comfortable enough to tell you, hey, this is me, I am gay. I am lesbian, I'm trans. And then it will create a more unified relationship that you will have with them because they will see in you a pillar to lean on. Well, Lily, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Congratulations on weathered all of those challenges. And I look forward to hearing how your life continues as we stay in touch. As you know, people who I interview all become friends of mine. And I've exactly. ended my universe greatly because of this. Thanks so much again. Thank you so much, Mike, for the time and for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been Bammer and Me, signing out. Thank you. Bye.